to see all of you here with us this evening. Everybody read what you're supposed to read? Look, what was you supposed to read? There you go. All right. Yeah. So we would plan to start in the book of Colossians chapter one, verse 24. Um, we were, uh, when we were discussing this, when we were in, uh, before we ended up uh, being away for several weeks, we had been talking about uh, lessons from the letters of Paul that could be applied to Christians today. So the goal was to avoid any kind of comment where somebody might say, well, that was written 2,000 years ago. That doesn't necessarily apply to me. And they've been hopefully practical lessons. And where we were the last time we discussed this, we had been talking about the preeminence of Christ. And we had talked about how that preeminence meant that it was the highest ranking. And so Christ was on the highest pedestal, uh, if we would. And we talked about the uh, relationship of Christ to God and uh, sort of the, the, the hierarchy, for lack of a better word, uh, all of that. And so that's sort of how Paul starts it. And so we stopped in chapter 1, verse 24, and we're going to look at now more of sort of what Paul was teaching to the people. Okay? And so in these series of books, uh, epistles, letters, uh, spaced throughout the New Testament, we see a lot of different teaching from Paul. And in some cases, he reiterates what he taught or what he had seen in other places. In some places, it was different. To start with tonight, we are going to talk about how that serving God, serving Christ for Paul required some sacrifice, but would for us also require some sacrifice. Let's start first by asking, how did Paul serving Christ require sacrifice from Paul? Because he, could, he uh, was a rich man and set up in a real good position, but he gave all that behind. So if he obeyed the great commission to go out and bring Christ to all the people. So he had to give all that up. And even tradition said, or business says, even his wife left him because of it. So he gave, left all that behind. To go. So Paul had been trained and been studied it in the law. Uh, you know, I don't know if that necessarily meant that he was a lawyer in the sense or a knowledge of the law, but whatever it might have been, Paul was highly knowledgeable, highly skilled. We also find that you know Paul was involved in uh, mistreatment uh, of Christians. Uh, and Paul's situation in life has been said was prominent, uh, if you could use that word. But he had to give that up. Is that a problem for people today? to trade in their prominence or their potential prominence, uh, maybe even financially, uh, in order to um, be a Christian. It could be. Uh, you might 
might would have to give up a job if it conflicts with your Christian beliefs, whether it's bar, you know, maybe working sure. a bartender or something like that, or whatever it may be, or or if the company you work for is asking you to lie on sure. sales calls uh -huh. stuff like that. So it could still very well cost you to do that. We could probably come up with a hundred different ways that it could. Uh, and, and some things it might not, you know, some jobs might require one thing of you and something or of another. Uh, one of the things that our, uh, we, we ask our teachers to do was to make a real short little video with a message for the graduating students. And we've started to get some of those in, and one of those was from a math teacher, and uh, she's actually going to retire about a month into next year. But she said she had today, uh, I watched it today, and she had three bits of advice for the kids. Uh, and she said, first of all, she said to make sure that you marry someone that you love now and will be able to love forever. We thought that was good advice. She said, find... Um, you know, make sure that she said, make sure that you're always honest in everything that you do, no matter what, because while it might hurt at the time, it will end up being beneficial later on. And she said, third, she said, find a job that you can be happy in for the rest of your life. And she said, that probably will not be the first job that you get. And she said, always, you know, strive to do, you know, better. She said, just like I taught you in math class, you know, to strive to do better, to answer questions better. She said, look for that in work. But she said, don't let the, don't let the, uh, the job that you get supersede the first two things that she mentioned. It was really, really good advice. And we have to be like that as Christians. If we want to be a Christian, we can't let... These other things uh, keep us from doing that. How else might it be? Uh, how else might we have to sacrifice as Christians? Ben mentioned work. How else? Relationships. Sure. Sometimes people uh, relationships just don't work out because of the conflict between the, the maybe the morals of one person and the other. I've always said if I'd been dating Deb and she'd have said after about the third day, "Well, let's go rob this bank," <laughs> I would have said. Sure, you're probably not the girl for me. I'm, you go off the bank, I'm going to go on my way. Because, you know, you can't do that. Some people will, though. They, right. I didn't want to rob the bank, but let come to the Lord's hand on me, too. You know? So we have a tendency, of course, to use the term relationship to think about, uh, you know, marital or yeah. husband, wife, boyfriend, or girlfriend. But you have relationships with tons of people. I mean, if you were to make a list of how many people you have some form of a relationship with, you know, that list is going to be really long. And, and sometimes those relationships can lead to trouble. You know, anybody who's ever been, I don't know, probably middle school age, high school age, has had parents who said, if you hang out with that kid, that's going to lead to trouble. Ben, anybody ever, mom ever tell you that? And, and, you know, at the time, we may not want to hear it, but, you know, looking back on it, it was almost always, always right. But those kind of relationships can stand in the way of uh, Christianity as well. Any other ways of sacrifice? I still sound like Brian Hall. Go on and hear the call Work or whatever, so they give time to their family and away from all that, and then the physical hardship of like his feet that one time, sure, things like that. Now, most of them don't get beat and stuff like that, oh, but still, it still requires physical. Absolutely, absolutely. Be, be really honest with me. How many people in here could do think you could do mission work like Brian Hall does, where you go to a foreign country for a period of time? 
I mean, there are so many restrictions to that. First of all, some of us in here probably would never get on an airplane to take us there in the first place. You know, so that's going to be a restriction. Some of us, maybe because of health, wouldn't allow that. Or maybe because of our families. I think it would be interesting to do, but I also have a wife and a, and a you know, a nine-year-old that would make that difficult. And, and some people, well, I might be, you know, that does sound interesting, but I'm eight years old. I don't know if I can do that. It's a special person. I, I could need a thing to have to You know, could I be able to eat? What, what they have right there. Could I be able to drink, you know, what, what they have right there? And that's one of the things, that's always, as much as, you know, a missionary might talk about, you know, the church and all that, I'm always fascinated by sort of the external stuff, you know, like what, what, do, what do they eat and what do they, you know, how, where, where do people live, all those kinds. And then you see that and you're like, well, that would be a complete change from everything we do in our life. Now, Paul is going to talk about suffering in verse 24. We've not read it yet, but we'll get there. Is there suffering that can sometimes go along with Christianity as well? Yeah, this, this is back to the missionary stuff. Uh, Mike Johnson's mom and dad, I don't know about last year, but they've been going to Guyana for three weeks every summer and sleeping in a tent. And they're in their 80s. Right. And they're sleeping in a tent. It's 110 degrees at night. That's hard. I mean, that's hard. <laughs> They, they go every year, though. They feel compelled to go, and it's nice that they do, but they, most young people won't do that. Linda, you going? No. <laughs> Are you going? <laughs> that would be, that, that be, that be tough. It would be tough. Let's go to verse 24 in um, Colossians chapter 1. Verse 24 down through 29. Uh, Mary, do you care to read that, please? First verse 24, what was the significance of Paul's suffering? What was significant about his suffering? That seems really odd, right? That's an odd sentence to read. I now rejoice in my sufferings, okay? Because most of us who've ever suffered in the least little bit probably whine and complain about it the whole time, right? You know, if, you don't, if we don't feel good, oh, I feel terrible. Oh, I just, I'm sick. I just, you know, and can I get some soup? Can I get this? Can you bring me that? You know, that's for maybe the minors, the things. He says, I rejoice in my sufferings. But the period is not right there because he says, I rejoice in my sufferings for what? Well, no, I rejoice in my sufferings for you there to start with. So what does he mean there when he says, I rejoice in my sufferings for you? Happy to do it. He's happy to do it. We've read a lot about, especially in Acts, we read about Paul's mission work, right? 
And so he's going to all of these places. He's going through all these troubles. He's being run out of cities. He's being, his life is being threatened because he wants to bring what to those people in places like Colossae and Philippi and wherever else? He's bringing the gospel. He's bringing Christ to them. So he says, I know I'm going to suffer. I'm going to rejoice in this because of you. And I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. There you go. You're right now. For the sake of his body, which is the church. So he says, I'm doing this to help you. And I'm doing it for the church. For Christ. Now, do we look at our sufferings the same way. It, it's kind of the same Like a mother, you could say the same thing about a mother. Uh -huh. The worst cut of meat or whatever. The thing she hates least to make sure the kid gets there. Or a parent cutting back on what they want to make sure the kid gets what they want. And we're happy to do it. We don't complain. We don't regret it or anything else. That's kind of the same kind of thing at all. I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. Other thoughts? Whatever comes our way, and uh, I don't know. I guess it's <laughs> <laughs> period. <laughs> no, it's good. It, 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 that's it, that's exactly right. And so, if we go, you know, on into uh, the next couple of verses, right there, uh, he talks about sort of why he became a minister, what his purpose was, and then he talks in verse twenty-six. We've asked this before, but it's been a few months. He talks about the mystery in verse 26. What does he mean? Number, verse 26, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations. The prophets kind of hinted about it. They didn't come right out and just spell it all out. They hinted about it throughout the Old Testament. And now it's come to fruition. It's being revealed. We talked about that. It's everything. I'm going to say last week just because it, it hasn't. it's been a lot longer than that. But we talked about that a lot. When we would read words of Jesus, they're always written in what color? Read. When we read words of Jesus, a lot of Jesus would make reference back to things in the Old Testament. And he was almost always, when he was quoting something, he was almost always quoting a prophet of some form in, in some way. And when Jesus would quote these prophets, he in effect was saying, I am who they were talking about. Well, that maybe made a little more sense now that he was alive and in the flesh. But Ben, you're exactly right. Those things that they talked about... You know, that you might have read about in Joshua or Isaiah. That may not have made sense when it was going to be seven, eight, nine, ten, you know, a hundred years away from when it was going to happen. But it was something that's been said. It had been hidden from ages, but now has re been revealed to his saints. We read there in verse 26. 27, to them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you in the hope and glory. And that's very important because the, New excuse me, the Old Testament were prophets speaking to what group of people? Jews. And so if you had been a Gentile, none of that would have made any sense in the first place. And so now it's been made known to the Gentiles. And the people at Colossae, that was a town in Greece. Those were not Jewish people. There may have been Jewish people in the neighborhood, but he's speaking to the Gentiles right there, saying this has been made known to you as well. Thoughts on any of that? Well, then I would go, I'd just like to talk back to say what Ben was saying about a mother. Have you ever seen a mother at a, at a wedding or something and, and 
she's crying because her son or her daughter's getting married. And why are you crying? Well, I just thought about all that hard work they put me through. No. Right. They, 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 they are, they're crying because they're proud of their son or their mm -hmm. daughter. And they love him so much. And, and they've stayed up late at night. They've cleaned up vomit. <laughs> poop and they've right. done all that nasty stuff. And they, but they did it because they love We need to love the church that much. If we love the church that much, we would do the dirty work and not really worry about the the what the sleep you're losing or the or the mess you're walking through, maybe uh, because it's worth it. It's this is a this is a big deal, you know. This is the most important thing. That's what Paul is saying. Even though they stone him or beat him or whatever, put him in jail, it's well worth it. Yep. That's what we have to we have to identify the church that way. And a lot of people don't. They want the church over here on the side. It's like a it's like a cooler with pop in. Handy, you know, handy when you need it. Handy, and if I get really thirsty, I'll get one. Yeah. You know. So then let's. Sorry to interrupt you. So then let's go back to that sacrifice part because I think the last two verses sort of go back into that. You know, if we look at the church, if we look at it as being just as you said, a cooler or a pop on the side, that well, you know, I'm not really thirsty right now, but you know, later I probably will be. If we look at it that way, then we don't really need it. You know, we, we, you know, we don't necessarily have to have it. So let's go look at verse 28. He says in verse 28, capital H, him, Christ, him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom. Here's the second part, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Why are they preaching and teaching for? For mankind. For mankind. To make mankind what? Complete. So when I read verse 28, that tells me what about myself? Am I perfect? Yes or no? No. It says that I am not perfect. But the goal of their preaching and teaching was to make man what? Perfect in Christ Jesus. Now, you'll notice it doesn't say to make man perfect, period. That's the end of the sentence. Because that's impossible, right? None of us will ever be perfect. What does perfect in Christ Jesus mean? I'm not perfect and you're not either. But that's what Jesus' death was there for, right? Was to cleanse that stain. Was to make every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Verse 29, to this end I labor, striving according to his working, which works in me. Paul says, I'm working for you because who worked for me? Christ did. Okay? We have to think about it that way as well. I want to do work for the church because what has Christ done for me? Everything. Everything. Paul says he's a debtor to the Jew and the Greek folk. That's yeah. the way we go. Now pay it for it. God gave Jesus Christ to die for me. He saved me from hell. I, I was dead and there's no hope in the world I was going to hell. So because he did that, now I've got to pay for it because now I'm in debt to Christ. I can never pay Jesus back for what he did for me, but I can do what he asked to go and share it with everyone else. Absolutely. Right. Other thoughts on any of that? Let's go down into chapter 2 then for just a second. This is going way back. But we had talked about the fact that Paul, you know, in the city of Colossae, it wasn't totally clear whether Paul had actually been into that city. He'd, made, he'd been there, uh, if he'd been there, but he didn't necessarily know even all the people that were there. Uh, whenever Paul made these missionary journeys, you know, after he left... The church would grow, hopefully, in some of those places. Well, think about this. Think about maybe a church that you might have went to when you were younger, but you've not been there in 25 years. If you went tonight, would the same people be in the seats? 
Some of them probably would, but there'd be a whole lot of different people that would be there as well. So Paul is going to be, Paul, whenever he would write to these places, maybe that he had been or that he had taught, he was encouraging people that maybe he had never actually seen before. Let's look at these verses. Jill, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, please, ma'am. Okay, we'll come back to there in just a few seconds. But verse or chapter two, verse one, he says, I want to know, I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, which is another town, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. What does the word conflict mean? Just in general, what's the word conflict mean? Fighting, some kind of animosity toward one another. So, you know, sometimes you'll hear the word war thrown about, and, and, and sometimes you'll hear conflict. And conflict, you know, to me, it doesn't quite get up to what a war would be. You know, Ben, you were in the military. If they sent you to a war or sent you to a conflict, in theory, the conflict maybe isn't as dangerous as the war, although it absolutely could be. But it implies that there's some kind of sort of internal sort of fighting within Paul. And he says, for as many of you has not seen my face in the flesh. Why would Paul maybe be struggling with the fact that some of those people hadn't actually seen him and didn't actually know him? Have you ever heard somebody that, you know, that you heard and like, I don't, I don't really, really care for him. You don't have to tell it, I hope you don't tell that about me. But, you know, you would hear that. But and, and, and usually then what you're going to say is, well, we don't really want that guy to maybe come back again. But you don't really know. And I'm sure Paul's thinking, you know, along those lines as well. These people don't know me. I hope they can trust me. I hope that the work that I've done uh, perhaps has there. But he's restricted. He's in prison. He, the people that don't know him is the work being carried on the way he had hoped. 
it would be. It's like if you're a teacher and you're absent, you have a substitute teacher, you just hope they don't die that day because the work will not get carried on as well as if the teacher was there. And Paul's probably thinking the same thing. I'm a preacher, I'm a teacher, but I'm not there to teach them. So verse 2 then, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery, both the Father and Christ. But let's go back up to the first part of verse 2. Being knit together in love. Anybody here know how to knit? Do you really? All right. Nobody else? Crochet. Grandma taught him how to knit. Well, I was not expecting to go to Ben for resource on this, but we'll take it. Ben, explain, give me a brief explanation of what knitting is. Take, y'all, well, I guess crochet, maybe I spoke wrong, but you take the crochet and you put it on the needle, you got to make little knots, you pull it through there, and then you go on to the next one. So when you knit something, after it is complete, is it easy to tear? Unless, I don't know, but if I did, it might be might fall apart in the process. But knitting it together, you know, I kind of think about, you know, putting your hands, your fingers together like this. It's hard to sort of pull it apart. So when he says that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love, what does he mean by that? That's what connects them. And when you think about the way Ben just described knitting, you got to do this, and you got to do this, and you got to pull it through. There's some effort there, right? If I'm going to be a Christian and you are going to be a Christian, I'm going to love you, there's probably needs to be some effort there, right? I'm going to be efforting to love you in hopes that it will be the same way. And if that love is there, it's going to be hard to break. Are there any people in your life that you like but don't love? It's probably easier to get away from them, right? You know? Are there people in your life that you love? Getting away from them would be really difficult, right? Because you, you don't want that bond there to break. He's saying if they're Christians, if they're knitted together in love, then they're going to be able to attain everything from that. Thoughts? Yeah. But like, even if you don't want to be around them all the time, there's still a bond there. Right, right. That's right. Other thoughts? And after a while, after you've done it for a while, you can do it with your eyes. You, can, you just you sit there and watch TV, you just go on cruise. You right. You look, you just do it. And hopefully, if we practice well enough, that's the way it comes up. It's such a second nature that we, we don't even have to think about it. We don't even really have to put effort into it. just... It's funny that you say that because you'll see people at uh, at the beach or something, and they're sitting there, and you know they're knitting, but they're not paying a lick of attention to what they're doing. They'll talk to you, you know, they'll do anything, you know, they, they they're doing a hundred different things, and that knitting is going on. And I, you know, I think I would have to look at that, and you know, I'd have to pay hundred. But there's probably things that I can do with while talking to you without paying a lick of attention to it. You know, if you're focused on, you know, if you're genuinely that good, I guess, at what you were doing, but that knitting together those hearts in love. Let's go a little bit further, verse 3. I guess at the end of verse 2, both the Father, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, what's the word, what is a treasure? Something... Right. Cherished possession. Cherished possession. In the you know in the old pirate stories, the treasure was always what? 
gold, right? It was always a gold chest, always coins. And they were willing to do sort of whatever it took to get there, right? You know, they wanted to, and if that meant, you know, stealing from another ship or killing someone, they were going to do whatever it took. So treasure would be something that's valuable. But verse 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of what? What are the two things? Do we tend to, there were never any pirate movies made about treasure as wisdom and knowledge, right? But how is wisdom and knowledge a treasure? Absolutely. How else would you describe, how else would we say that wisdom and knowledge is a treasure? Discussing things that people wanted to, to other people may not have any monetary value. It might not even work. I don't know what the different things are, but it may not even be usable anymore. And you may not be using one of You know, you're not looking for this as something I want to use. It's something that I want to have because it tell, there's a million stories that go along with that. Dad's got some things hanging up in his house, and, and he's told me you know what 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 they mean, and, and you know. In, in, and I don't mean to be rude about this, but in some of the cases, it doesn't really mean anything to me. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I didn't know who that person maybe was. But that's somebody that was a very important part of, the, of his life. And that means 100% to him. You have that same thing, right? Yeah. I have that. So there are things that are mean that I have that if I showed it to you, you'd be like, that's, that's, can care less about it. You know, Lucy Hill is probably, she probably can relate to that more than anybody that we've got. She, she doesn't have anything memorable. She's trying to get involved. But he says, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I think that's an important sentence because of what verse 4 is going to say. Now this I say, lest anyone deceive you with persuasive words. What he means right there is, there's going to be people that are going to teach you otherwise than what I have taught you and what Christ taught. 
And he said, that, that treasure that you hold on to, that wisdom and knowledge, there's people that are going to come in and say, that's not valuable. That doesn't matter. Well, if somebody tells you enough that something's not valuable, are you going to continue to value it? Depends on your level of wisdom. All right, you may not. And he's saying that people are going to tell you that that's not worth something, that that's not valuable. But he says, it really is. Verse 5, for though I am absent in the flesh, Paul's not there, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. He's saying that if you can maintain that faith, if you continue to strive to do good, if you continue to try and gain wisdom and knowledge within the church, you're going to benefit from it. But let's talk about that as a modern example today. Does verse 4 exist for Christians today? Absolutely. Sure. Of course it does. You've got preachers that are on TV that are drawing thousands, if not millions of people, into their dealing situation that are getting filthy rich, and they're telling them lies. They're saying that God only wants you to be happy. Well, God probably thought a whole lot of Paul, and looks to me like Paul is not happy all the time. Right. He's in prison, he's beaten, he's stoned, he's all these things, shipwrecked. Uh, just everything in the world that could have happened to them. But these preachers, they are persuasive. And sure. they're talented speakers. And they're very, they're very capable of influencing people. And people are falling hook, line, and sinker for them. And those that are Christians know where the true treasure is. And the treasure is in Christ Jesus. So I'm really glad that you use that as an example. Because my first thought in verse 4 is anybody that would, tell, that would speak out just against God in general. Okay, and when I was like people that would be deceive you with persuasive words or whatever, that was sort of my first thought. I was like, well, you know, they're completely against God. So we'd say, well, I'm strong enough to resist that. Okay, that's fine. But there are people that would present the gospel to you in a way that's untrue. But as he just said right there, it would sound incredibly good. And it would seem like a viable statement for somebody, if you're not reading the Bible, for somebody to say, God wants you to be happy. Well, that seems like something that would probably be in the Bible, right? We don't really see that. Because we just read here a handful of verses that Paul talks about suffering. Now, I, think, I for sure think that God wants you to be happy. I want you to be happy. I think everybody wants to be happy. But is there ever going to be a time in life where everything is going to be perfect? Why would it be different for a Christian? You have to live in the same world as the non-Christian. You have to endure the same troubles. Sin exists. Trouble exists. You have to endure that as well. There are people that have the ideological approach that when this COVID-19 is kind of behind us, then we'll go back to utopia. It was <laughs> utopia sure. beforehand. Sure. It's not utopia now, and it will not be utopia in the future. That's this world that we, right. we should have enough wisdom and knowledge to understand that. Uh, there's been pandemics. There will be more pandemics sure. in time stands. So uh, we. Uh, uh, there will always be. I, I saw a thing from the Battle of B today, and it's the title. You know, it's, it's all it is is satire. But it says this preacher had tried for two years with every kind of stunt, program, everything he could do, but he's out of ideas. And so he's just going to strictly go back to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and <laughs> him crucified next Sunday. And the old people understood because he has no more ideas. He shot right. himself out of camp. Now that's just funny. You know, right. he's just joking. Around. But it's a truth. Entertainment <clears throat> will not hold people. They have to be converted to Jesus Christ. And uh, 
we, we understand it, but there's a lot of people know that sure going down the entertainment highway. Sure. And uh, they have to be understanding wisdom and knowledge is in Jesus and in Christ. Other thoughts? we got just another minute or two. So. The only difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is that the Christian has the peace or should have the peace of knowing that whatever he's going through, it's going to be for his better, but God's going to make it better for him somehow. He knows where he's going, so that gives him the peace where he's able to do it joyfully. And, but we're going to have to go through the exact same stuff that other same people are going to have. Yeah. But that's the only difference. Yeah. That's why Paul says a little bit later that it's so important to be deep-rooted into the Scriptures. Is that way, when you got that to draw from, all this other stuff's not going to be able to pull you down. How much, how big of a wind does it take to knock over 100 year old oak trees that are 100 foot tall? If there's a, if there's a little bit of a breeze, it probably won't get it done, right? It takes a big, it takes a healthy But when people plant, a new tree, and it's this tall, they spend all their time fretting about it, right? For what reason? It's very vulnerable. It could be damaged, so you water it. You, know? you put, those, you, know, you put the, the plastic around it so you don't hit it with a weed eater or with a mower. You maybe tie you know, a string to it and you know, kind of tie it down to the ground so that it won't lean one way or the other. So it won't, it, It's very vulnerable, that tree is. But eventually, that tree, if it's taken care of, it'll start to grow. And that plastic piece that goes around, it'll crack because it'll outgrow that. And you don't need that string connected into it anymore. And it'll, take a, it'll still take some, you know, it, it's still vulnerable to a wind. We see, you know, we, we see tornadoes that come through that uproot trees that are, you know, twice or three times as tall as this building. That happens. But Paul is telling these people, I've taught you, but you're still young, if you will. You're still vulnerable. You can still be sort of blown away. Stay rooted in what you see right here. The the wisdom, uh, the treasure and the wisdom and the knowledge. Other thoughts before we wrap up? It's kind of like if you go to a nursery or whatever, you buy a tree. It's wrapped in burlap or a big plant. If you just take that tree out and put it in your ground without breaking those roots up, if those roots continue to grow, that's just going to be real shallow and keep growing right there in that little bottle. Mm-hmm. And four or five years down the road, it's still not matter. The wind's going to blow right over. So you've got to break the roots up and let the roots soak out. It's the same way with the Christian. If we don't spend time every day either studying God's Word or meditating on our Word, our roots are not going to go anywhere. We're just going to be root back. And we're, it's not going to take anything at all just to blow us up. The last, I think in verse 5 is important for us, sort of over the last little bit as well. For though I am absent in flesh, this is Paul talking about not being there with the people. But has there been an absence in flesh for us over the last couple of months? It may not be, we might not word it exactly the same way, but there has been. There's, a, there's an ability uh, to, to sort of grow with one another that we haven't been able to experience there. And so, uh, even though I'm absent in flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. It was encouraging, we talked about this on Sunday, to see other ways that we could be involved in the church over the last few months. And we hope that that can continue now that we're able to even get back together. Other thoughts to finish the show? All right. Thank you all so much.